Well, all year long we've been talking about the identification of being the reflection of the light in the world. That's what Jesus saw when he saw us through the eyes of the disciples. He said, you're the light of the world. And we're not dropping that theme just because it's Christmas time. Christmas time isn't this separate little holiday that we do. It is the summation of all that we are, from the light that formed the world to the light that will not need the sun after the world. And a couple of weeks ago, Orlando and Isaac preached about how there is darkness in us, and it's good to recognize that and watch God replace that darkness with light. And then last week I talked about God invading or, 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 or uh, inhabiting the darkest place of all, and that is the, the womb. How, how He not only went into the Virgin Mary and spoke the light into the creation of the Savior, but He went into every womb, Psalm 139 says, and spoke light into the creation of us all. And now, today, I want to talk about circumstantial darkness. What do you do with the problems around you? If you have your scriptures with you, turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And by the way, if you're, if you're kind of new at this, we hope you will bring your Bible every once in a while, but don't, don't be ashamed to look in the... I'm going to be flipping through, uh, oh, 1 Corinthians and Psalms, 2 Corinthians, and, and don't, just look in the table of contents. It's okay, and just kind of follow me as best you can. Because, yeah, because it's best just to read it right like it says in here. Uh, but if you don't have it, I'm going to be reading it out loud to you anyhow. This is the prophecy of Zacharias over his son. I love this. Starting with verse 76, it says in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. Prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways. Now let me stop right there and mention to you an archetype or a prototype. Because one of the first uh, 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 sermons I ever preached uh, uh, almost 30 years ago now when I was in seminary was, was entitled, Don't Be a Christ, Be a Baptist. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't talking about the denomination. I was talking about our role is a lot more like John the Baptist than it is Jesus Christ. Because there's only one Savior in this world. And, and, and our job is to go before him and to prepare his ways. You see, in, in this world, they weren't, they weren't ready up here to receive a Savior like Jesus Christ. They had a different picture in their mind. And the picture went something like this. You know, when the Messiah gets here, he's going to solve everything like that. And he's going to be first in command, and we're going to be second in command. But all peace will come to the world, and all of our problems will be solved. The reason that I mentioned that is because that's how a lot of us look at Jesus. You know, when Jesus gets here, it's just all going to be all right. Won't be, won't. The problem with that is that's a different plan than God's. And so he had to send somebody before Jesus to prepare his ways to get people back into the mentality of God's, what God's real plan was, which was to cure the world incrementally, person by person. And if you read in Luke chapter 3, verse 3, it says that John the Baptist went out preaching a gospel of the repentance from sin that everyone should turn to the Lord himself. 
Now, we have a very legitimate reason to hope that not only will God cure the world, but you know what? If we just knew enough, we could probably cure it ourselves. The reason for that is we're all born into this sinful, self-centered mentality that really believe we're the center of the universe. And so therefore, there has to be a conversion in our thinking before there can be a conversion of our hearts. And the conversion of our thinking has to be like this. God's going to send a Savior. And as that Savior enters into your life, problems will be solved one by one as He chooses to do, but they're not going to be solved under your problem or under your power or under your wisdom. Because you're simply there to go before Christ. You're simply there to look for Christ, to point to Christ. You know, the only way we really realize this is when we run into a problem we can't solve. I don't know how many of you are facing problems right now, today in your life. You just can't solve. I mean, you've tried it and you can't do it. Well, if you are in that situation or somebody you love, you can't fix them. I mean, you've tried it and you can't do it. If you are in that situation, blessed are you. Blessed are you. I grew up, as many of you know, in the a, in a, in a, in a household of an alcoholic. The woman I loved more than all the world was an alcoholic. That was my mom. She had an addiction. And as a little kid, I, I just assumed, you know how you are, you just assume when there's a problem, it's your fault. I mean, those of you who are, there's some of adults among us who believe if there's a problem, it's my fault. Somehow I caused it. And if it's my fault, somehow I can solve it. Because if I caused it, I ought to be able to solve it. And that's how I lived a lot of my childhood in relationship to my mother. I kept thinking, well, you know, if I'm just... i tell you what. i tell you what drives her to drink. It's me. And, 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 and I probably wasn't too far from wrong. I, if, if, if I was... <laughs> If I wasn't such a boogerhead, if I, was, if, I was, if I was a little bit less ornery, if I was better, if I was a better person, my mother wouldn't be under such tension and she wouldn't drink. So I'd try to be good. That'd last about mm, a day. But I'd try. And I kept thinking, if I were a better person, I could fix her. If my behavior were, were better, that would resolve the problem. They would get better. If I could get, get better, they would get better. But that never resolved the problem. And I, and I thought, well, 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 maybe if I talk to her. You know, she's a reasonable person. She's a smart lady. She was a very smart lady. And, 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 I, and I, you know, I, even from the little, when I was little, I loved to talk. And I said, I wasn't too bad with words, so I thought, well, maybe I could talk her. Maybe, maybe if I talk enough. Maybe, maybe if I reason with her. Maybe, maybe, if I, maybe if I just have all the wisdom, she'll just come to her senses. Didn't, pro, didn't solve the problem. I thought, well, maybe if I just take a strong stand. You know, I've always had this propensity. Maybe if I just take that booze and pour it out, which is exactly what I did. Man, I'd say, man, you're not drinking while I'm in this house. I'm going to save you from yourself. I'm going to save you from that bottle. I'm going to search this house over, and every bit of liquor I'm getting, I'm pouring it out. It's exactly what I did. She continued to drink. You know, it wasn't until years after she died that I realized I could never have solved her problem because I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Savior. I hope you come to that conclusion 
with the problems that those you love have or the problems that you, you have long before I did. I hope you save yourself that kind of, of searching and guilt and, and desperation. You know, the reason that Alcoholics Anonymous works so well is because its steps are so in line with what it takes to be saved. The first step of Alcoholics Anonymous says, I've learned that there is an area of my life I'm absolutely powerless over. Now, for a Christian, that's all of life. You know, because we're sinners. I mean, that's why we're here. Sinners, present. That's why we're here. You're not here because you just like to get dressed up. Second, it says, and I have come to believe that there is a power that can restore order and sanity to my life. And third, I'm going to turn this over to him. The reason that it works so well is because it's so true. It talks of a reflection of what we understand God to be and what we understand ourselves not to be. We're not the Savior. And sometimes, no, often, it takes problems we can't solve before we come to understand that. It, it, it takes known areas of weakness that we just can't get around before we'll really get there. If you have your scriptures, turn with me to the second chapter of Corinthians, 12th chapter, and we'll read the writing of one of the strongest men in all of the New Testament. One of the strongest leaders. His name was Paul. This guy wrote close to half the New Testament. I mean, what could he not have had going for him? But failure, listen to this, was a part of God's plan for him. You see, we see failure as the opposite of God's will. Many times, it's exactly what God plans. Read with me. Verse 7 says, And because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. There's that propensity right there. And God will do whatever's necessary for us not to fool ourselves into thinking we're the answer for ourselves or we're the answer for somebody else. Romans 12.3 says, You ought not to think more highly of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It says, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now, nobody knows what this is. We have, we have some hints, but, you know, it was, he had trouble seeing. In part of, his, part of his letters, he said, see what large letters I write with my own hand. So he had some eye problems. But we don't know exactly what the physical thing was. But there was a physical thing. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. To keep me from exalting myself. There it is again. You see, Satan is used at times by God. He's on a short leash, but he's used for the purposes of God. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, this is Paul. This is the chief missionary of the church. This is the founder of the Gentile operants of the church. He's praying to God, and he can't get his prayers answered in the way he wants. It says, and he said to me, he has said to me. Notice the verb tense there. God said it in the past, and Paul wasn't listening until he couldn't solve the problem. How, how, many of, how many of us have heard the answer? We say, yeah, yeah, and we go on and try and solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, God, I know, I know, you're, I know you're the answer. And we go on and try and solve, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. 
Go on trying to solve the problem. Until finally it hits you. That problem isn't getting solved. And then we hear it. He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power, that is my power, is perfected in weakness. Oh, Paul said. Then he writes this. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of God may dwell in me. I'm sorry, the power of Christ, the only Savior, may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. How many of you are content with your weaknesses? Got a little bit to go yet, don't we? Yeah. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults. How many are you content about being insulted? Okay, we got a little bit to go yet. Uh, 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 with distresses, persecutions, difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what's important for us? What's important for us to understand that failure, our failure, is a part of God's plan. Because He made us, knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows just how we are. He knows we're bullheaded. He knows if we can do it, we'll do it. And sometimes that's good, but most of the time, for the ultimate and important things, it's not. That they can read outside of the realm of theology to equip them better to understand uh, what people are interested in. And I talk about business magazines and science magazines and literature magazines and so on and so forth. One of the students came up to me and said, I've noticed one missing here. Have you ever read Fast Company? I'd never read that magazine. So I got a copy of it and I started reading and this, this month's issue has the, out, the profile of 50 men and women who are, who are business leaders, not the Fortune 500 business leaders, but the, but the ones who are really making a difference in people's lives. And you could just hear the wisdom coming from them. For example, Albert Yu, Y-U, who is the vice president of Intel Corporation, says this. He says, failure is a part of the culture of innovation. Failure is a part of the culture of innovation. Accept it, get used to it, Learn from it and get stronger by it. Failure is a part of the culture of innovation. If you're not failing, you'll never learn something better. Also, there was a Rosamund Zander, Rosamund Zander, who said this. She said, you know, the job of leadership is not to make decisions for people but to make distinctions so that people can learn how to live their life and do their work better. Job of leadership is not to make decisions, but to make distinctions so that people can more clearly see how to live their life and how to do their work. That's a leader. I want to tell you that this whole power thing that we have of trying to replace the Savior of trying to be the answer man, of trying to make decisions for other people, is an exercise in frustration, and it should be. Because we can't be the Savior. We can't fix them. 
We can't even fix us. Only he can. And it's not until you come up to a problem that is so frustrating and so tenacious, it won't go away, it won't get solved, that the greatest theology in the world is born in your heart. I don't know how many of you uh, have been reading the Advent Devotional. I'm, I'm sorry we didn't have more of these printed. Uh, we had several hundred of them, but we didn't know how many, and they, were, they just sold out right away. Um, but just in case you didn't read uh, November 29th, it's a great example of what I'm talking about. This comes from Alice Tate Barnett. Some of you know her. It reads like this. The date was June 9th, 1993. It was supposed to have been one of the happiest and most joyous occasions of my life, the birth of my little girl. Instead, my feelings of happiness, ecstasy, and joy were replaced with feelings of overwhelming disappointment, disbelief, and helplessness. I birthed a little girl with abnormalities. At first, I could not cry. I could only stare into my feelings of disbelief. The day after my daughter was born, the geneticist came in to explain our little girl's condition. He described it in detail and informed us that it was called Apert's syndrome. In addition to the abnormalities that were obvious, it also entailed abnormalities of the skull. It meant she would need many surgeries throughout her life, as many as 10 to 20 before she reached her teens. Additionally, there could be intellectual problems as well as self-esteem issues. Our little girl would require extra special love and emotional support. My decision to have children had not come easily. I had always felt inadequate. Now, I was called to be a mother of a special needs child. I knew I needed help, and I would need this help for the rest of my life. It was at that time of needing strength beyond my own that I turned to God. We brought Shirley home and set her car seat with her in it on the floor. Several family members were there, and we all stood in a circle Looking, looking sadly down at her. Everyone carried a long face and no one said a word. All I could think was, what in the world are we going to do with her? What in the world are we going to do with her? That was the first question I had that God immediately answered for me. My answer came through the actions of my 18-month-old son. It was at this time that he walked over to Shirley and laid his little head so lovingly against hers. There was my answer. We're going to love her. Since that time, God has provided me with strength to endure eight surgeries with Shirley. And I have been able to hug her and hold her and sing to her and love her so very deeply. Does it strike you that many times we get to what is extraneous too fast when we have normal situations. We get to what are they going to wear? We get to what will they be like? We get to how can I pull out all the potential? And we forget the most basic thing of all. It's not until you face that kind of huge unsolvable problem that you remember the most basic thing of all. Our job's to love our kids.
I, I don't know how many of us have raced on before or, 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 or farther than that. But, but some of us need to hear today, you need to come back to that basic. Because without that basic, nothing else really matters. The only thing that's ever going to last forever is how we love somebody. That's the only thing that's going to last. And it is the privilege of God for this woman to be driven to the most important issue of all. Now, Christ may heal this baby. I don't know. But if whether he heals her on this side of the curtain or the next side of the curtain, he's healed the mama. You understand? The point is that we can take off the mantle of being sufficient. It says, as a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 3.5, it admits this. It says, not that we are adequate in ourselves. It says it right here. <laughs> you can read this. Every time you feel inadequate, go to 2 Corinthians 3.5 and just go, not that we are adequate in ourselves. Oh, okay. I I'm normal. That's who I'm supposed to be. Not that we are adequate in ourselves as to consider anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Even Paul, when he preached, didn't preach in power. He said, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he describes himself as a preacher. It's not flattering. It starts out like this. 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, verse 1 says this, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, now, this guy's one of the best educated people in, the, in his day. And he's had so many revelations of God that God had to give him a thorn of in, in his flesh so he'd remember he wasn't God. And he didn't answer for God. And he didn't think like God. And he, didn't, he, did, he wasn't responsible for God. But he says now, I didn't come to, with superior to speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. There it is. I'm just the link. I'm just the guy who goes before. I, there's nothing here that you... Listen to this. He says, and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I love that. You know why? Because it doesn't presume that we can even come close to walking in the steps of the Master. We are not the light of the world, light coming out of us. We are the light of the world because we're looking at the light of the world, and it's reflected in us. We are the image of God. We're not God. What a sweet lesson that is. You know, years ago in uh, Bonn, Germany, in Bonn, Germany, there is the household of Beethoven. And, and it's still preserved, and you can still tour it, I think. I read a story about, uh, and this has been a, a, a household for years, and, and of course they have the ropes up, and you can go through, and you can even see the piano where he composed so much of his music. And years and years ago, there was an American girl who was going through that who, who just 
I mean, the, the caretaker or, the, or the, uh, the, 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 the custodian or whatever wasn't around. And, and so she just stepped over the rope and went over to the piano and said, start playing. Just a kind of a careless little tune. Well, the caretaker came over and just looked at her. She looked at him, just kept playing. She said, bet you have a lot of people through here, don't you? He said, yes, we do. She kept playing. She said, I, I, I bet uh, that, that, that you have famous people through here, don't you? Yes, we do. She said, did any of them ever play this piano? He looked at her and said, well, Paderowski. Now, Paderowski, of those of you who are musicians know, was one of the greatest pianists in history, one of the greatest composers, one of the greatest maestros. He said, Paderowski was through here not too long ago. Oh, did he play Beethoven's piano like I am? And the caretaker looked at her and said, no, he did not think himself worthy to touch it. Who are we to be given answers to Je- for Jesus? You know? I mean, I'll tell you what Jesus would think about this. No, don't go there. Your job is to point people to Jesus. And Christians sometimes are absolutely the worst at this. I mean, we think we've got to come up with some sort of an answer because we're a believer when we don't know the answer. Especially Christian men. I mean, men won't even ask for directions for crying out loud. If there's, if there's a problem, I ought to know the answer. I ought to be able to fix this. No, you shouldn't. In many cases, no, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. You don't know the answer. In many cases, the strategy that we need is not to try to pretend we know what God thinks. The strategy we need is to be quiet enough and to be still enough that God actually is the only one to turn to. You see, it says that in in Psalm 46, verse 10. I love that verse. It says, be still and know that I am God. You know what that means in Hebrew? Listen to what it means in Hebrew. It means several things, but, but, but it means stop striving. Stop working at it. Some of you need to hear this. I'm going to say this in several ways because this... If you don't get anything else, this is why God brought you to this church this morning. Listen to him. This is his voice. In Hebrew, it literally means let go. That's what it means. It also means relax. Relax. Let go. Relax. Be still. And know that I am God. (sighs) Isn't it great just to be able to love people instead of always having to answer them? Always having to talk them into something? Always having to think if they just listen to me, but they won't listen to me. Let go. Relax. Be still. And know that I am God. They don't need your voice. They need his voice. They need your prayers. They need your love. They don't need your answers. And many, so many times we have dumb answers in here. I mean, when you think, uh, now think just for a minute. Have you ever heard some of the dumbest theology coming out of Christians that you've ever heard in your life? 
I mean, we say dumb stuff. I mean, we don't, I mean, a lot of dumb stuff, we, ought, we would just know better. We ought to know better as, as, as humans. Like when Christians go to visit somebody in the hospital, I've heard, I've heard them say so many times, you know, I had an aunt that died of what you got. <laughs> now, why would you ever go there? I mean, what are you trying to, that's a dumb thing to say. But I tell you what's even dumber. The stuff we say at funerals, trying to explain why somebody died. Now, I know many times people say, I just don't understand why. You've got to understand, they don't ask you, they're not asking you to come up with a reason. Why is a cry of pain. It's not, it's, it's not a cry, they're not, they're not looking to you for this. But I'll hear Christians say stuff like, you know, at the death of a child, I'll hear Christians say, well, God just wanted another flower for his garden. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? Yeah, God didn't care about you. He just plucked your kid because he wanted another flower for his garden. Don't go there. I know, I know you're trying to help out. I know you're trying to say there is some reason ultimately for this. And, and, and God knows better. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's true. So be still. Be still. Because what's helpful is that you love them. That's what's helpful. In my last church, the head of the counseling program was a, was a woman who had lost um, her husband. Um, when she came on staff, I, I, and, and I was on an interview team with, with uh, um, some others. I don't know anything about counseling, but they thought they, they ought to include me, so I was on it, and I was just listening mostly, and and uh, she had mentioned this, they, this life they had had together. And this was incredible. They were in ministry, uh, vivacious kids. I mean, just the model family. And, 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 uh, and he was pitching a church softball league. He was pitching on his church softball team, drop dead on the mound. Now, how do you explain that? Now, and now somebody, somebody just kind of worked their way through the theology of that one. And I asked her, as I was walking out of that interview with her, because she was evidently the one, I said, what was the most helpful thing for you during that whole process of the funeral? And she said, I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't people speaking for God and pretending to explain away why my husband had been taken. What it was were the people who had just, came, just come in and they very obviously didn't know what to say, but they wanted to be with me. And so they just hugged me. I'll always remember the hugs. That's the important... You do, it's not the words. It's not how you can rescue them. It's not how you can make things better. It's loving them. It's being with them. When I went to visit my dad this week, um, I, I, my dad's in a, he, he can't talk anymore. And, and he's blind and he's almost deaf. And, and he, he, can, he, can only, he can only say one word at a time. And I, we used to have kind of our times together in that I would, I, would, I would try to think up areas of conversation where we could talk and memories so that he could participate and we could talk together. And that was our intimacy. But, but we don't have that anymore. And so when Beck and I went up to see him this time, Beck took along jelly beans. Jelly beans are his favorite thing. But he, he hardly would ever let himself indulge in them. Because my dad is very, 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 very um, economic man. <laughs> That's the best way of putting it, you know. 
we could never have more than one cookie after supper. No, that's a luxury. It's one cookie. Boy, I eat it and like it, you know. <laughs> and he was always very, you know, I think he married my mom to kind of loosen up a little bit. And my mom married my dad to tighten up a little bit. And neither one of them did either. <laughs> so we walk in a room and I know I can't talk to him. And I know he can hardly hear me. But I walk up to his ear and I said, hey, Dad. You want some jelly beans? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> open your mouth. He can't, he can't. For two days, I stuffed that guy so full of jelly beans. <laughs> <laughs> he was the happiest man. I mean, he almost went into a sugar coma. I mean, he was just... <laughs> We had communion by jelly beans. I didn't need to say anything to him. I just need to love him. I need to pray that God could be in his heart and in his brain in ways that I could never reach. But just to be with him, just to love him, that's our job. And then they will seek the Savior that comes to them also. The last two verses, I'll quit just a minute. The last two verses says this. Actually, the last three. Well, let me read the whole passage. You child... <laughs> well, you got to get this big thing together here. You child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways. To give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. With which the sunrise from on high. Notice how he describes Jesus. The sunrise from on high shall visit us. Shall visit us. You know, let me stop right here. You know the reason why we don't leave it up to God? We don't think he's coming. We don't think that God's really going to do all. Oh, yeah, well, he may, he may visit, he may not. No, he will. It says, shall visit us. You've got to have confidence that where you're quiet, God can speak and will speak anything he needs to. Shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Some time ago, I read a story about a Shah in the Middle East. His name was Addis. And, and he loved to do the thing where you dress up in rags like a pauper and go surprise people that you're really the Shah. And one time, he went down into the caverns of his own castle to a worker who didn't know him because he'd been stuck in those dark caverns doing his work all those years. And he went in his rags. And the worker thought he was just a beggar kid. And so, and so he went the first day. And, and he just, just, there was just a little candlelight. It was very dark down there. And he said, I, I don't have anything to eat. You got anything to eat? And the, and the, and the, and the worker had some, some just old bread and water. So they ate bread and water. Came the next day. Came the next day. Finally, he just sprung it on the guy. He said, I'm the Shah. And he was shocked, obviously. But the kid loved this. And he said, you can have anything you want. What do you want? You want a kingdom? What do you want? I can give it to you. And the worker looked at him and said, You visited me 
in my darkness. You came and sat with me in my darkness. You ate of my plain food. And you cared whether my heart was happy or sorry. Not even you can give me anything better than that. That's what Jesus did for us. Pray with me. God, you came to us in our darkness. You ate of our plain fare. You, 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 you cared whether our heart was happy or sorry. There just isn't much more that you can give us except the privilege of linking other people with you. Thank you, God, that we are not you and we don't have to try to be. But thank you also that you are you and you're the answer to our problems. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.